Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. Tonight, uh, the topic I'm going to talk about is God as our rescuer. Uh, I'd like to talk about the ways uh, God rescues us and how he's rescued people in the past. Um, and while, I mean, please pay attention to what I'm saying, but at the same time, during this, uh, you, thoughts might come to your mind, your memory, Think of, so while I'm talking, also think about a time in your life when God has rescued you, when you knew that it was his deliverance in a moment. And I'm talking about, like, the difference between rescuing, I wish to say it, it's a difference, but, you know, we use the term salvation, deliverance, rescue. In my mind, I mean, they're all good and they all work, but in my mind, I'm thinking salvation, getting saved uh, eternally. Deliverance, getting freed from something like a bondage or something. And then rescue, getting uh, freed from some immediate circumstance type of a thing. But rescue and deliverance go together. So for the sake of not being sounding redundant through this thing, I'm going to use both. But, uh, but salvation works too. You know, there's a salvation, our eternal salvation. And then people can also use the phrase that, or the, the term salvation to say my salvation in this moment. You know, so I mean... All three work, but I want to be saying deliverance, rescue, bouncing back between those two. All that to be said, think of a time in your life, and maybe as I talk, it'll jar your memory. Think of a time in your life when you can really say, yeah, God rescued me. And we probably all got something to some extent or another that we can say that God delivered me in a time, in a period, in a situation that was difficult. And uh, it might have been miraculous for you. Or it might have been something that at the time you didn't even realize until, you know, years later and you look back at that and you say, you know, God's hand was really in that. I didn't realize it. I didn't appreciate it at the time. Didn't notice it. But looking back, that was God working, bringing me out of something or or, you know, or working through somebody else who came to, to my aid. Something like that. So when we look across the timeline uh, from creation till now, reading the scriptures, we see that God has been in the rescue business uh, in many ways, uh, many people, many accounts in Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, people getting rescued not just from a physical disaster or calamity, but also uh, financial provision uh, when things look financially impossible. Uh, there's deliverances from bondages and then, of course, Salvation is the ultimate rescue. Uh, and we ourselves, we've all cried out to God for help in our lives at different moments. We've called on Him uh, during heartbreak and inner turmoil. Uh, we've called on Him during physical needs, uh, financial needs, and some, some of us may have even called on Him in the face of persecution. We read a lot about that in the Bible. Uh, a lot of these things brought a, a against believers were not their own wrongdoing, but it was the enemy working against them, bringing on persecution. And uh, we also read in one of the places where we really hear 
and read about the people's cries for help is in the Psalms. I mean, the Psalms are loaded with examples of crying for help, rescue me, deliver me, come to my aid, stuff like that. And uh, David, his Psalms are, you know, especially transparent when it comes to crying out to the Lord. Psalm 70, for example, says, hasten, O God, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. So obviously he's asking for help there. Psalm 143, O Lord, hear my prayer, listen to my cry for mercy, and your faithfulness and righteousness come to my relief. And so, I mean, that just echoes kind of what we've all had, we've all felt. You know, we all have a point in life where we cry out to the Lord and stories in our own lives, stories in other people's lives. And, you know, David, what's great about reading his Psalms is he just throws it all out there. He bears his heart. It's very transparent. Even in his, uh, imprecat- what's the word, imprecatory Psalms, you know, where he's upset with somebody, he's real transparent about that too. Uh, so, uh, moving on. God rescues us from circumstances and trials, uh, big and small. He rescues through miracles, and he rescues us using other people that I would describe in a non-miraculous way. And then uh, he provides us at times when we are going through a circumstance. He doesn't necessarily pluck us out of that and rescue us that way. But he rescues us from uh, despair in that moment by giving us what we need to endure it. And all three of those are delivering us, you know, giving us what we need whether that's to be extracted from a bad situation or to give us the tools we need to go through it. Um, so let's let's dive into rescues in the miraculous. Um, sometimes there's no other help to be found but God. And what I'm saying is we've got different safety nets in our lives where we can count on people, family, whatever. But in some cases we'll find there's nobody other than God. There's one of the psalms that we sing in a praise a praise song uh, out of Psalm 121 that says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And this particular song, psalm isn't written by David. It's called a psalm of ascent. Uh, you know, there's a lot of psalms that weren't written by David, in case we didn't know that. But this one is uh, called a psalm of ascent. It was like a psalm sung as people made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And, uh, but it does have the kind of that generic expression of, uh, crying out to God for help, finding help in nobody else but God. And, uh, in a time of need, it, it's applicable just as, uh, as all the other Psalms are. And, and echoes a lot of the themes David had. And, you know, I have no help but God alone. And uh, the, the words of the song, I look to the hills, where, do my, where does my help come from? We don't look to the hills for help anymore. I mean, in that, in that state, or in, in that time, uh, the situation would have been you'd look to the hills because there would be from where your allies would come. And you'd be looking for your allies to come aid you in your battle. Or, or it could be I look to the hills in doom 
where does my help come from? Because over those hills is also where your enemy comes from, right? So in either case, what it's not specific in the text, you know, whether he's looking at it from a pro or a con, but in either, in either case, he's pointing out there's no help but God. And so that's where we find ourselves in hoping for a miraculous here is we got nothing else to go on here. So my help comes from the Lord alone. Uh, Even people with little faith will cry out to the Lord. You've heard the expression, there's no atheists in foxholes, right? So it's not just people with great faith calling on the Lord, trusting on him. Even when people get down to no other options, even even people of little faith or no faith will suddenly find faith to, and desperately look look for help. And in Scripture, we've seen different miracles in the Old Testament. Uh, last week, Dean talked about... Um, Children of Israel being delivered out of Egypt, the Exodus. There was a series of miracles involved in all that. Those were all miracles of deliverance there. Uh, I think of Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, that was miraculous, of course. Uh, the other three Hebrews in the furnace. That was miraculous rescue. Uh, so there's no shortage of that in the Bible I just want to, before we go on, to say the miraculous is that a way to define miracles or, or that which is out of the natural order or the natural ordained order of things that God set in motion for us to operate under. Uh, the three Hebrews in the furnace, that's a miracle. Uh, a beautiful sunset, not a miracle. It's a marvel. It's beautiful. Not a miracle. You know, and so keep that in mind. Let's not exaggerate something into a miracle if it ain't a miracle, is what I'm getting at. God is still at work, and it's, it's still by his hand, but let's get our definitions more appropriate. Let's start by reading a miracle in Acts. I've been going through Acts lately, and so all my examples are going to come from Acts. Uh, we think of uh, books of history in the Bible. We think of way back at, in, the, in the beginning of the Old Testament, but Acts is also a book of history. and There's a lot of historical accounts there of what happened to people. Uh, this is Peter's miraculous escape from prison. I'll start reading in Acts chapter 12, uh, verse 1, and we'll go through 11. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended him, intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out to prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. 
It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. So God uses an angel, does the miraculous to get Peter out of a bad situation there. Uh, He was probably delivered from death. I mean, he just didn't get just wasn't delivered from jail. He was probably delivered from death, considering that James had just been killed. Said Herod thought it was, hey, the people was were happy with me killing James. I'll take care of Peter too, and so it was probably in the Jews that were against Peter in Herod's mind. They thought, well, Peter is probably the next up to die. And in verse 5, it says that the Christians were earnestly praying for him. So people were praying for Peter. Uh, they probably knew what was going to happen. They probably expected the same thing to happen to Peter as what happened to James. And without Peter doing anything of his own, none of his own strength, none of his own machinations to get out of jail, miraculously, an angel shows up, miraculously the chains fall off, and miraculously the gates open, and they just walk, walk right out of there. Uh, it, it, it certainly was none of Peter's doing because Peter was half, it sounds like he was half asleep when this is going on. He didn't even know if it was really happening or not, it said, and until the angel disappeared. And then he realized, hey, I know without a doubt that this really happened. So here's the miraculous happening uh, without any effort on Peter's part. Uh, you might say that the prayers of the Christians influenced it, and it certainly could have uh, bent God's ear, but, uh, you know, God, we serve a God who's good. He shows us kindness. He shows us mercy. He'll do this stuff, you know, and uh, even without our merit, he does it. So, all Peter did was obey, get up, and walk out of prison. How how amazing is that? So, anyway, that's an example of, of miraculous way, and uh, Another way God works is, is through the people around us. So God works through people to bring about his mercies and compassions, often in indirect ways. Uh, keeping in the book of Acts, let's consider the story of Paul when uh, shortly after his conversion, he was in Damascus. And not long after the conversion, it said he, uh, I don't know, one translation said he became very formidable, I think it said, or maybe that's what the commentary said. The word formidable was used, meaning uh, the Jews who were arguing against him found out it was very difficult to argue against Paul because Paul's argument was solid, right? I mean, how do you argue against truth? And so they uh, were scheming then to, to, uh, to kill Paul. And they were waiting. They kept a watch at the entrance of the city to make sure he didn't escape. And it's interesting uh, they says his followers, which would have been believers, no doubt, lowered him down the city wall. They lowered him down the city wall in a basket at night, and uh, I believe it was night. They lowered him down, and he gets away that way. A rather, I don't know what you might call it, an undignified way of getting out of town, but it worked. And there's an example of it wasn't necessarily miraculous, right? But people came to his aid and helped him out. 
And uh, Acts 23 is another event involving Paul. Uh, this one's a little more involved. Let's, let's read it. I'll do it from verse 9. Okay, there was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him to the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified to me in Jerusalem. You must also testify in Rome. The next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. But when the son of Paul's sister heard about the plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell you. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner, sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside, and asked, What is it you want to tell me? He said, the Jews have agreed to ask to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them, because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. Uh, the commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him, don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, Get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at 9 tonight. Provide mounts for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. So there's a few things going on there, Paul. Sounded like he was a marked man again to get a plot against him to kill him. His nephew learns about it, tells him. Paul talks to the centurion who goes and takes the kid to the, or takes, whether he's a kid or not, I don't know. He takes his nephew to the commander. His commander uh, rallies a bunch of soldiers and horsemen to give Paul an armed escort uh, to Caesarea. And so, you know, we read that. There's nothing... Other than the part where the Lord came to him in the barracks and told him to take courage, that part is supernatural. Because um, I take it as being like a, I don't know if it was an angel of the Lord or, or what that was, but it was a, a direct word from the, from the Lord to Paul. But the part where the centurion and the nephew and all the soldiers and horsemen, that really wasn't miraculous. That was just a commander um, kind of being smart about what to do about the situation, getting things moving in order that they need to get moving in. And when we look at how God 
you know, our previous example of Peter, God saved in the miraculous. Here we see God working through people to bring about his rescue of Paul. And some of these people, I don't I would say it's likely they weren't even believers. The Roman soldiers, centurion, whatever. Maybe his nephew was. I don't know. But God can use anybody. He can even use unbelievers to work out his his ends and his purposes. So when we think about how we are rescued by other people. We might spend a lot of time praying, hoping for a miracle. And like I told you at the beginning of this, think about times in your life when you look back and you see God's hand was in something, you know. Think about how God's hand was in, it was uh, orchestrating the people around us to help us out at the time. Or how you yourself didn't know it at the time, but you were being used to help somebody out of a jam. And, you know, that's just one of the great, Ways the Lord shows His mercy and goodness to us is by uh, encouraging us with each other. Uh, I think of the joke, and I'm sure you guys have all heard it, but I'll say it anyway. Stale jokes are my thing. Uh, the town was flooding, and this guy's, uh, he, he was warned that the water level was going to rise to his house, so this, his neighbor on the truck came up and said, Hey, you better hop in and get out of here because this is all going to be underwater soon. He's like, no, I'm praying for a miracle from God. I'm trusting him. And then the water level rises, so he's knee-deep in water. And then somebody in a boat pulls up and says, hey, hop in. We'll get out of here before it gets even deeper. And he's like, no, I'm trusting God here. Finally, the water level gets so high, he's got to climb up on the roof. Uh, a helicopter comes by. He waves him off, like, nope, still waiting for that miracle. And then he drowns because the water gets too deep. And he asks God, hey, I was praying for this miracle. Why didn't you give me a miracle? And he says, what do you mean? I gave you a guy in a truck. I gave you a guy in a boat. I gave you a helicopter. You turn them all down. Let's not look past each other for as our answer to prayer and how God uses us. And let's be obedient to be used by God in uh, being that arm of mercy and help in time of need. And I'd also like to point out, uh, Paul was spared from the Jews in that moment, just like that other moment he had. So back up. He had to get lowered down from a wall, so that was a rescue, but then he found himself in another uh, predicament. He got the Lord used people to rescue him out of that. He still has to go through a gauntlet of uh, testifying before Felix and Festus, and then he's got to uh, go before King Agrippa, and that's more of a, it's a plea, but it's also an a ministry opportunity evangelism opportunity, and then he still has shipwreck ahead of him uh, on his way to Rome, right? So deliverance from one situation doesn't mean we're out of the woods or, and it's always going to be free sailing. There's always, uh, there's always another curveball around the kernel corner. You know, that's just life, and we're, our faith is built up in one circumstance to get ready for the next, really. And uh, if our, if our goal of our prayer in life is to grow in faith, to grow in the um, fruits of the Spirit, we can expect there will be uh, challenges because among the fruits of the Spirit is patience, long-suffering. I mean, there's, um, I don't think we learn those just academically. We learn those 
through hard knocks of life. And um, Paul certainly went through a lot of them. And then uh, these are rescues from circumstances in the moment. Sometimes we'll find ourselves where we don't really see that rescue transpiring. We don't, we're not getting, we're praying, we're not seeing a miracle. Um, it could be something that the people around us, as good brothers and sisters as they might be, there might not be much they can do for it. You know what I'm saying? And this is where God calls us to go through something. And we think, well, then where's the rescue in that? Where's the deliverance? But there is deliverance in that as well. Uh, we pray for the miraculous, and it may not come. Other people might not be able to do anything for us. Uh, we have expectations of, I should pray, and voila, uh, the outcome should be quick. But uh, it, it isn't always that way. And we know He is good, and we know He hears our prayers, but we can become disappointed with outcomes. Um, and, he, you know, part of this is growing us and uh, maturing us, building us, building us up for Bigger challenges, uh, and with bigger challenges, bigger challenges come bigger uh, testimonies, bigger opportunities for ministry. Um, and we should recognize that in the face of hardship and calamity, it is our faith rather than our physical well-being that is of most concern. Being rescued physically is great, and it's certainly welcome. But God sometimes calls us to go through hardship and trial, and physical rescue isn't one of the options. Um, in, in those times, where the deliverance and where the rescue is, is I mean, we've all heard the statement, sometimes He doesn't deliver us from stuff, but delivers us through it. When we're going through something, we have fears, doubts, uh, anxieties, anger perhaps, uh, just general despair that a person might f- arrive at, that's something that we have to be delivered from because uh, to get through something, you've got to be able to see a light at the end of the tunnel. And God delivers us. He pulls the blinders off of us and gives us faith uh, to see that light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, another thing to be delivered from are, is uh, some faltering faith, I would say. You know, I can't quote the source of this, but in one of the books I read, it described how it was talking about the early church, and it talked about early church was more concerned about the durability of their faith than they were about, uh, you know, going into the Colosseum and, and getting thrown to the lion sort of a thing. And it was, the faith was of the most precious thing more than our lives. And, you know, it shouldn't just be people way back then who had that idea. It's us today. We should have that idea. And I think maybe um, in the U.S., for example, we have a lot of safety nets in our country for people going through hard times. Imagine if you're in a different country, part of the world, or at a different century where you didn't have safety nets. You didn't have a well network of of uh, churches of maybe social programs or all that stuff you really have only God to turn to uh, maybe your immediate family but 
you know, in, when wars and diseases, your immediate family could have been wiped out. You might have nobody. I mean, things, what I'm trying to say is I myself feel soft. And I feel part of me being soft has just been my, my setting, my, the century I was born in, uh, the country I was born in. It, it really made, it, I think it lacked some challenges in my life that I should have had, had I lived at another time. And so when I do this study, um, the study has also been my own devotion to try to get psyched up to handle something when it comes, something bad. Because I look at, in my life, we kind of, we grade stuff based on, okay, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And this one wasn't so bad. But the worst thing that ever happened to me might be peanuts compared to what happened to you or you, right? You know, it's our own scale of grading that we give ourselves. And I got to step back and look at that and be honest about it. It's like, man, Phil, you've had such an easy, easy ride. Totally easy. You know, you, you haven't been persecuted for your faith. Uh, you've never really been hungry ever. Uh, you know, just think about the basic things that we take for granted. And so to go through a trial that actually... Um, could crush your faith is something that we need to be rescued from, rescued through. And it's our faith that he's rescuing. Um, here's two questions to consider going through a trial. Will I remain faithful or will I shrink back and deny Christ? Will I harbor unforgiveness towards my oppressors? What if I'm offered relief from my problems if I agree to compromise? You know, these are things to be concerned about in a trial if, you know, our faith gets rattled. And so, Lord, deliver me through this so I don't cave into these things. And in these times of rescue, in these times, rescue does come. It comes through the Holy Spirit renewing us with peace and courage and strength to endure a situation. He rescues us in a situation through that situation. And have you... Okay, have you ever experienced peace when you were going through something difficult and knew that it was God who was providing that peace for that moment? Um, I would like to use one more reference from the book of Acts. Uh, it's a, what I see as a event that involves deliverance through a situation. It's uh, about Stephen. In Acts chapter 6 and 7. I ain't going to read all that because Stephen goes on quite a lengthy speech there. But uh, I'll say, I'll paraphrase that he, it said he was full of grace and filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was doing many uh, great works and signs. And uh, a group came and tried to challenge him. And it said they couldn't compete with his words of wisdom. And then, uh, so they went to the Sanhedrin and tried to cause some trouble for him. They uh, brought some false accusations against him, some claims that would put him in hot water with the Sanhedrin as well. And it said when the, he was uh, in front of the Sanhedrin, they looked at him and it said his face was like that of an angel. He didn't get intimidated. Uh, he didn't shrink back. Instead, he started on this speech telling them about Israel's history and its uh, Israel's relationship with God, 
and what God's what brought him through. He talked about Moses, and then he, uh, uh, at the end of that lengthy speech, he calls him out for being hard-hearted, you know, essentially, and for always denying uh, the things God's trying to do there, and and even for uh, uh, denying Christ and uh, killing the prophets, etc. And uh, then they really became upset with him and were getting angrier. And then he looked up and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then he says this to the crowd. And that, that put him over the edge, right? They were just furious at that point. And uh, they dragged him out, out of the city to stone him. And they stoned him. But uh, what I like about reading that story about Stephen is, one, we don't see anything there about him squirming or kicking or flailing his arms or begging to give me another chance, nothing like that. He was bold. He was courageous. And uh, I think in that time when, they, you know, at the beginning of that episode when it describes Stephen, it says he was a man full of grace, full of the Holy Spirit. So he was a real dynamite Christian, you know, who who had the the metal to get in there and do that. But at the same rate, uh, I've never had people threatening to kill me. And I can't imagine that wouldn't rally a bit. But it said even in that, at the beginning of the argument with him, his, his face shone like that of an angel. So I would say that there was probably something special God was doing even in that moment with Stephen, strengthening him, giving him an extra anointing for that moment. And he uh, described everything he wanted to tell uh, the Sanhedrin about Israel and about uh, killing the prophets and basically calling them out for for their uh, obstinacy in it all. And, uh, and then at the end, when they're even stoning him, he looks up, well, he sees God, and he testifies to that, and then they stone him. And while they're stoning him, before he dies, he says, Lord, don't hold this against him, against them. Now, that really takes something outside of us to have that poise, that uh, dedication and obedience to hang in there. And even at the end, even when they're throwing rocks at you, to say, Lord, please don't hold this against them. So I, I look at that episode, and I see that is God's strengthening of a person to go through something very difficult. Stephen knew what was coming. I mean, he was aware of what it meant when they drug you out at the city gate. He knew it was coming, right? I mean, that was no mystery what they were going to do to him. And like I said, he he wasn't uh, pleading for mercy. Uh, instead, he boldly stood for Christ in the faith of death. And uh, he even, through all that, asked God not to hold it against him. And so I, I look at Stephen's example and say, wow, going through something like that, he was that, that cool, that uh, focused on on God, uh, when I get a flat tire, you know, oh, this is terrible. My day's ruined. Weeks from really seriously. So that's a soft life. I was telling you, you know, describing. I mean, boy, we got pretty easy here. Nobody's burning down my house. Uh, I'm not getting dragged out the city gates. Um, 
But uh, God provided for Stephen to speak truth in a difficult moment and to do so courageously. And I would argue that Stephen was rescued from faltering in that moment. You know, like I said, Stephen was a pretty dynamite guy. So he probably wasn't prone to faltering anyway. But looking at what they were going to do to him and what was going on, what they did do to him, he he stayed committed the whole time. And I would I would challenge that. That's, you know, God giving him that strength in that moment. Because we read about as verses to come that he'll do that. And um, God delivers strength in a moment when we don't think we could ever muster that on our own. And, and probably we couldn't, you know. If we tried to go through something on our own, we would probably come up short uh, without God's intervening and, and giving us grace to, and, and giving us the grace to have the, uh, whatever, the, the, the emotion, the, confidence, the courage, whatever, to get through it. Uh, Here's some encouraging verses for us. Uh, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand, righteous right hand. In Hebrews it says, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Uh, Matthew 10 says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father, and even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And uh, in the case of, like, temptation, and Lord, help deliver me from this temptation, here's 1 Corinthians ten thirteen: No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Um, I have a relative of mine. She had broke her neck and was paralyzed. And before that, she was real energetic, real gung-ho, positive. And, you know, that's heartbreaking to see happen. It uh, It's difficult to... Try to put myself like, gee, what if that was me? How could I? How could I endure that? But yet, she seemed to be positive, and she seemed to press forward with it. And it was hard for me thinking, gosh, what if that? What would I do with my life if I was like that? If I had everything taken away and had to start all over, learning a whole new way of doing things, that'd be tough. But I, I realized, you know, God delivers what's needed for a person in their what they're going through, if I'm not going through it, he's really not obligated to give that to me at that time. Why, why would he? He doesn't, I'm not going through it. Somebody else is. He might give me the empathy or the compassion, you know, but as far as having the strength to endure something, he can, we can count on him giving that to us when we need it, and it'll be on time, you know. And if, if, uh, if you're going through it, uh, and I don't have what I think I would need to go through it. Well, that would actually make sense. I'm not going through it. God didn't have to deliver it to me. <laughs> he needed to deliver it to you, and he did. So, you know, that sort of a thing. And so I just I say that as an encouragement because um, we might get discouraged thinking, man, I don't have it together. Because if I feel this bad about somebody else going through something, man, where's that going to leave me when I go through something like that? But we can trust him. That when it's our turn, 
He'll be there. He'll rescue us through it. And uh, we should be encouraged by that. Let me see where I left off. Um, among those verses I, I listed, also remember the verse that uh, the Lord, not the full verse, but what the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Uh, my power is made perfect in weakness. And even if it feels like we're just hanging on barely, we're still hanging on. And that could be the gift he's given us in that moment is to be able to just hang on. You know, sometimes when you have no other options, that's where your survival and your ability to, or I would say your decision to endure happens when you have no other options. You know what I'm saying? When you're stuck in a life raft out in the ocean, you have no other options. That's it. So all you can do is grit your teeth and, all right, this is it. Let's see where this goes sort of a thing, right? And so sometimes the lack of options is the very thing that, uh, well, it turns us to God, first of all. That's it. Back to the start of this whole thing. I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. And so um, I'll close here with my last written paragraph. We too can pray and look to God to deliver us through hardship by rescuing us from our fears and doubts. In a hopeless situation, we can have hope. He can deliver us from the temptation to compromise our faith not just in persecution, but in all trials that require more than we think we are capable of enduring, like uh, financial hardship, health problems, stuff like that. Christ is with us in our trial, and our Lord can provide peace in the midst of turmoil and give us courage to withstand fear, even death. He obediently endured humiliation and physical agony, and ultimately triumphed over death. We trust Him with eternity. Let's trust Him in our current situations, and let's not be disheartened. But I would say this, we shouldn't discount God's ability to do miracles, right? I think sometimes we get the idea, this is all for my spiritual growth, this is all for cultivating the fruits of the Spirit. And so, like, that's the extent of it. No, He, he can still drop a miracle on us, right? And we shouldn't be afraid to pray for that. He can rescue us miraculously by his own hand. He can rec- rescue us through the people around us. And he can rescue us from despair through our hardships. Uh, he can do that with his own. Uh, uh, it's, I mean, his own, uh, what's the word? Grace. Holy Spirit working through us. So we look at God's rescues in our lives and give praise and thanksgiving and we can take encouragement from the past, from the one we came out of to get encouraged and strengthened for the next hardship that will probably come. And I don't say that negatively. I say that if you're alive, there's going to be more coming down the road, right? Just That's just par for the course. We've seen that in Paul. He gets out of one, he's going right into another. So we should be encouraged not disheartened knowing that every time we go into something, we have a loving Father who is going to deliver us from it or through it. So we can take heart in that. So that's all I have.
Anybody have a miraculous rescue you want to talk about? Anybody have a time when God just gave you the strength and courage to go through something that you just didn't think you were going to be able to do on your own, and yet you made it out the other side, and you look back, and you realize, yep, that was God. He did that for me. So It's good. Well, I'll pray. Close this out. Dear Lord, thank you for your your goodness in our lives, Lord God. Thank you for uh, hearing us, Lord, when we cry to you. We pray for uh, hearts that are focused on you, looking to you in all things, both in the in the good and the bad, Lord. And we pray that we our faith would not falter, Lord. We stay uh, mindful of of who you are and your goodness and your promises to us, Lord. Pray that you'd be with uh, each of us as we go the rest of this week. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.